Please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. James 5. <clears throat> we uh, have been going through the book of James. I have been working through James for most of the time that I've been here at Christ Church on the Sunday mornings that I have the opportunity to preach. So I have been blessed by this study. I trust you have too, and not just, not just blessed, but I, I hope that it's, it's stirred you. I hope that, that the message of this epistle that is immensely practical has, has really gotten into your heart and kind of worked itself down into uh, your, your thinking and your, your way of life. Um, I, you know, God's Word is, is given to us for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished into all good works. Um, and James, James kind of gets into our stuff a little bit, kind of gets up in our grill a little bit. If you, uh, if you just look through some of the headings, um, as, as I'm doing now and reflecting upon uh, what James is saying, he talks about testing and trials, he talks about uh, doing the Word, and being, not just being hearers, but being a doer of the Word. He, in chapter 2, he talks about the sin of partiality um, and uh, keeping us humble. He um, talks about the tongue. He talks about um, warning against worldliness. He deals with our heart. He deals with our desires. Um, and and this, uh, he's been talking in, in previous verses here at the end of chapter 5 concerning prayer, and we've kind of slowed down and and a few months ago, I told you we were going to circle a little bit, circle the plane a little bit, and, and think about prayer. You're, you might be thinking, just, just land this plane already, and, and by God's grace, and we're going to try to do that and, and come to the end of, of chapter 5 here in the, in the final uh, phrase or, or teaching of this passage. Um, I, it, the, uh, one of the commentators that I have read... Um, about as I've, as I've studied for and prepared for these messages and in his comments on this, and maybe he, he mentioned this in the introduction and I missed it, but, but I uh, learned this week that James, the epistle of James has more imperative verbs per word than any other New Testament book. It's very heavy on instruction and you can, you can as you reflect upon it, if you've read it, uh, you recognize that. Um, and so James here has some closing instructions for us. A lot of epistles end in, in a, a greeting or maybe a list of people to greet and give regards to, uh, Pauline epistles. But James doesn't do that. He's still giving us things to think on, things to chew on. And this is a kind of a challenging passage, so I ask that you uh, uh, seek the Lord, and, and we certainly want to do that. And so before we read this text, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and merciful God, your word is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, we pray that it would go in cutting and come out cutting this morning as we, as we look at your word. Lord, we need your word, and we need it to stir us. We need it to shake us up sometimes. Lord, we need instructions. And Lord, we, we pray that by your spirit you would apply your word to us. Give us grace to hear it. Give us open ears and open hearts to receive your word as your very word. We know that you are speaking even today, even in this worship service this morning. So, Lord, we pray now that the words of my heart and the meditation of all of our hearts, Lord, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. James 5, beginning with verse 19. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever 
brings back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Amen. And we praise God that he has spoken to us in his holy and inerrant word this morning. As we've said, our last several sermons in this book have concerned prayer. And James, in the closing words of of beginning in verse 13, in the closing section of chapter 5 here, has dealt with prayer. And he He tells us that prayer applies to every situation. He says in verse 13, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any among you, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And then the very next verse he says, If anyone is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. And here in our text this morning, James uses a phrase that that kind of ties it back to those verses. In our text this morning, he uses that phrase again, anyone among you. And so by this, we see that James is kind of weaving together various aspects of life within the church. He shows us how God works among his people. God works through prayer, of course. And we see that, that God works through the prayers of elders, particularly in praying for the sick. Prayer is the appropriate response, whatever the circumstance that we find ourselves in. But here James deals with something a little different, and he tells us about how we should function within the church. How do followers of Christ stay on the path of being faithful disciples? Well, there's a lot of things we could say about that. Um, uh, uh, Being um, taken advantage of the means of grace, of of worship, and, and preaching of the word, and reading God's word, and prayer, and all of those things. But what happens when somebody strays from the truth? when their life is not measuring up to what God's Word says. Well, James here challenges us in a way that probably will make most of us uncomfortable this morning. But we need God's Word, and we need to hear what God's Word says. So I ask that you consider this text with me under three headings, Wandering Away, Turning Back, and Salvation from Death. Wandering Away, Turning Back, and Salvation from Death. Firstly, notice that James addresses his audience with that phrase that he has used throughout his epistle, oftentimes, my brothers, my brothers. That gives us an indication that he's speaking to people within the church, but it's also a term of endearment, and I think he's saying, listen, listen, I want you to hear what I have to say, brothers and sisters. He's telling us he's speaking to believers, but he tells us there's an urgency to what he's saying. And here he wants, in these final two verses of his epistle, he wants us to hear what he has to say. Now, there's two things that we need to notice about this wandering. This wandering is subtle and it is serious. It is subtle and it is serious. It's interesting, the word that James uses as he has written this, the word in the original, is from the same base word that the word planet comes from, the word wandering, that's translated in our text here as wandering. And you think about it, you think about a planet, and what does a planet do? Well, a planet can appear to wander. Perhaps you've noticed in the evening sky a bright light that that you think maybe is a star, and you maybe you'll Google it and you'll say, oh, that's Venus, or some planet that has appeared, and you notice it for a few nights, and you see it there appearing, and then maybe you'll forget about it for a couple weeks, and you'll think, wait a minute. Where's Venus? I thought it was in the, in the western sky or wherever it was you had located it. 
And so you, you, if, you, if you have an app that tells you where the planets are, you'll realize maybe it's below the horizon or maybe it's in another part of the sky. It has appeared to wander because, of course, it is on its own path around the sun and we are on a separate path around the sun and, and the relation of us in relation to that planet has changed and it has appeared to wander. And so that helps us understand the subtlety of it of this wandering that James is warning us about and, and giving us instruction on what to do when this happens. He also helps us understand the subtlety of it in his ambiguous language in talking about who does the wandering. He says there in verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. It helps us understand that it can happen to anyone Scripture is full of exhortations and examples of those who have wandered from the truth. Think about Demas, how he, how he departed from Paul having loved this present world, Scripture tells us. His love for the world was greater than his love for the gospel. Or Ananias and Sapphira who, who loved the recognition and the accolades of others more than they loved the truth. They only wanted to appear generous and not yet actually give sacrificially these show us the, the need for the exhortation that we read in the second chapter of Hebrews where it says, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And that idea of drifting and wandering are, are very close here. Drifting is so easy to do. I remember when I was a teenager, I had the opportunity with my brother who's nine years older than me to, to purchase a boat. Now, I've never been a... a uh, very comfortable around the water. You know, my, my family that, and, and those that know me know that I'm from the middle of, of, of the United States and there's no oceans close to Kansas. And I think that's providential because I'm not, I, I recognize I was not made for water, but in my, in my youth and ignorance, I thought it would be great to take a boat out. And I was very ill-prepared for the maiden voyage of this boat. It had a motor. I thought it would run. We got a couple hundred yards, I think, from shore and the motor quit. I'm not sure if we had life vests on there. Uh, we did have one paddle that we were not very good at using. So we were there stranded without power and basically without steering. By God's good kindness and providence, the wind was blowing us toward the shore and not out into the, the open lake that we were on that day. And we were able to get safely back to shore. As terrified as I was that day, the drifting that we're thinking about this morning is even more dangerous. Because the drifting that Hebrews and James here tells us about is subtle. And it's often that we don't understand and we don't recognize that we have drifted. We can get off course when we don't do the things, when we don't take our bearings, when we don't consider ourselves in light of God's Word. We need God's Word. We need to compare ourselves to, to be like James says, to be doers of the Word and not hearers only. We don't want to look in that mirror of God's Word and then forget what kind of a person we are. We need to compare ourselves to God's Word lest we drift or lest we wander away from it. If we fail to seek God in His Word, we'll find that we're not steered in the way of righteousness. And if we fail to seek the power of the Spirit, we'll drift away from God. Drifting is subtle. Perhaps this is why the the songwriter wrote the words, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. I am prone to leave the God I love. 
And then the response is, oh, here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We need to pray that prayer along with that songwriter. This wandering is subtle, but it is also serious. And James helps us to see the seriousness of it because it is a wandering from the truth. Now, when we think of that word truth, we we hopefully will think immediately of God's word and that his word is truth. Scripture tells us that. Perhaps we think of our creedal statements in which they uh, seek to, um, to, to set forth a, a coherent and a, and a clear understanding of the various doctrines of Scripture. But truth is, is, is more than just a statement of faith. It is how we live. Truth is a living thing. If we profess to know the truth of God's Word, it should change how we live. The truth will set us free, John says. It will affect how we live our lives. The psalmist knew this when he prayed in Psalm 51 that we prayed earlier. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Truth in the inward being leads to right living in the outward person. The Apostle Paul warned the Galatians and and spoke sharply to them. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Here, you were, your life was, was, was righteous and good, and, and you were following the ways of righteousness, and you were hindered from the truth, from obeying the truth. 1 John reminds us that if we persist in walking in darkness while we profess to have fellowship with Christ, then we lie and do not practice the truth. In the Bible, and especially in James, right doctrine is inseparable from right living. Right doctrine is inseparable from right right living. What we believe about God should translate into how we live our lives. God is the source of all truth. So a wandering from the truth is a wandering away from God. This is serious. We have to recognize that this wandering that James speaks of, wandering from the truth, is subtle and it is serious. So then what is the solution? What does James say here? Well, certainly God works in and through His Word. We should seek to be faithful followers. We should seek to be faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes, God uses other people to bring reproof, to bring correction, to bring His Word to bear upon us. And I think this is what James is speaking to and pointing us to the one that turns back. And that brings us to our second point. James gives us the solution to this, to the problem of the one who wanders from the truth. Someone should bring him or her back. Once again, James is using ambiguous language, saying someone. It's the same, actually the same word in the original as the anyone in verse 19 there. This rescue operation, we could look at it as that, is at the hand of someone. Someone needs to turn this person back. Anyone. It's not addressed to pastors or elders specifically. It says someone. That's, that's you and that's me. And these, these two short verses give us a window into what life in the body can and should look like. It reminds us of the parable in, in Luke 10, we know as the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Derek Thomas, in his commentary on this passage, has called it the somebody should do something parable. 
Because if you'll remember, in that parable, the, the priest and the Levite, those that were the religious people of the day, passed on by the man that was bruised and bleeding and had been beaten up by the robbers. He was obviously in need, and it seems that though, as though they said, well, somebody should do something as they walked on by. But Jesus points to the fact, to, in his teaching, to his, his disciples, to the one, the, the lawyer that was before him, that it was the Samaritan that showed mercy and was the true neighbor. It was the one who, who saw the need, not the one that was expected to respond in a way that was, that was, that was kind and, and gracious and caring, but the Samaritan, the one that was unexpected. Jesus helps us to see in that parable, and James is pointing to the fact that it's someone, it's anyone. It's the person who sees the need. And we should be prepared to go on a search and rescue mission to turn a sinner back to God. Imagine with me, if you will, perhaps a neighbor or a friend who, whose child would go missing. It's a terrible thing to think of, but it does happen. Perhaps a child is out playing and, and the mother looks outside and just a few minutes ago the child was there safe and a few minutes later the child is gone. And, and, and if you're a, especially if you're a parent, your heart would be struck with fear and, and, and probably immediately going to what could happen. You know, what, what could happen? Perhaps someone's taken that child or, or the child's wandered off to um, be exposed to the, to the, the cold night air or, or something. You would do, I think, you would do everything in your power to make sure your friend or neighbor's child is returned safely, even if it meant sacrificing your own comfort for the safety of that child, because you realize the seriousness of it. You realize that, that, that you need to cast aside your own comfort and go after the one that is lost. And if we see a brother or sister in Christ in sin and persisting in sin, if they have wandered from the truth, they are in a dangerous place spiritually. And, and that concern that we have for them should translate into action. We are members of the body of Christ. Scripture teaches us that we function together. We can't say, oh, well, I'm the thumb and that's the, that's the eye and I don't have to be concerned myself. No, we are part of a cohesive body. That's why we're, we're called the church, the called out ones. We are called to be a, a, a functioning body, okay? And if, if one member is suffering, we're all suffering. If one member is falling into sin, that will affect the rest of us. But which should cause us to recognize the grave condition that they are in. We have a common enemy. As part of the body of Christ, as followers of the Lord Jesus, as part of the body and the family of God, we have a common enemy, Scripture tells us that the devil goes about seeking someone to devour. That's graphic language, and that's serious language. And we need to recognize that we have such an enemy. And we're called then to resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, 1 Peter 5 tells us. And we know our brothers and sisters can, or at least should be, fighting the same devil but the devil is deceptive, and we can be so subtly led from the truth. And we're called to go and rescue our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that's hard to do, and that's often something that we're very uncomfortable doing. 
And unfortunately, too many of us, too much of the time, say, well, it's someone else's job. That's the pastor's job. I, I remember a, um, uh, a friend of mine in, in Mississippi when I was in seminary, and he, he shared about how um, there was somebody that came to, uh, um, to church that didn't know the Lord, and, and he wanted to bring that person to the pastor so that person could hear the gospel. And the pastor said, no, you tell him the gospel. It is, it is you that should go. I mean, it was, it was that person's friend. It was, he had the relationship. He had the connection. And we should be willing to, to speak in moments when someone's wandering from the truth, when their life is, when, when, it's, when it's clear that they have stumbled into sin or clearly walked headlong maybe into sin, that we should be willing to go to them and seek to turn them back from their ways. The natural question is, who is to do this? Well, we've already said it's someone, it's anyone. If you have a relationship with a person and have knowledge of their sin, then you are the person to go. Because truth is best received in the context of loving relationship. Truth is best received in the context of loving relationships. The second question is, okay, how do you do it? Well, I can't explain every situation, but I think there are some things from Scripture that teach us how to do it. Do you sneak out during the the benediction and accost them at the door and stick your finger in their face and tell them what a sinner they are? No. You do it with love. You do it with concern. You do it lovingly, humbly, and prayerfully. Scripture tells us these things. We should, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as as part of God's redeemed people, brothers and sisters in Christ, part of the body of Christ, we should love one another. That should be our natural response. Scripture tells us in various places that we should be known by our love. It should mark us out as believers because we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 Peter tells us, above all, loving, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. That idea of, of earnestly tells us that there's going to be some effort sometimes in loving some people. And, and we're supposed to commit ourselves to it. We express a genuine concern for that person. Now, I recognize that some people, I'm not looking at anybody in particular, but some people are just irritating. Some people are just hard to love, okay? And sometimes we want to approach them or, or tell them things that they need to change about their lives just because it irritates us. But that's not what Scripture tells us to do. We, we are called to love, which should lead to a genuine concern for their heart and for their soul, for their well-being, not just for our own comfort, but for their well-being. <clears throat> It doesn't need to be done in front of the whole church. It should be done with discretion um, because when someone needs reproof, we should be kind, we should be considerate, we should have that loving concern that we're talking about. Now, there are situations in, in church discipline in which that, that there, there can and should be a breaking of fellowship with the church where the elders have a formal action of church discipline against someone, but James is not really talking about that here. He's just talking about the normal life within the church. So whatever is done, this turning back, 
this, what chapter, or verse 20 tells us, uh, turning back a sinner from his wandering. That should be done with love, out of genuine concern, and with discretion. We need to get our facts straight. If someone tells you about someone else's sin, then what you need to do is ask them if they have gone to that person. Not encourage gossip, but to ask them if they have gone to the person directly. They shouldn't share that with others, but they should go to the person themselves. If you are concerned, but not sure of what's going on, ask questions. If it's an, is it an issue of immaturity, or are they walking away from God and persisting in a sin? If sin is present, then reproof may be necessary. Now, we don't like that word reproof, but we sometimes use the word encouragement and mean the same thing, but, but reproofs should come in a way of encouragement towards righteousness, towards godliness. If you read the book of Proverbs, you see that, that reproof is a common thing, that we are called to listen to reproof. Reproofs of discipline are the way of life, Proverbs 6.23 says. So it shouldn't be foreign to us to think about gently, kindly reproving someone. Now, that, now, now I understand we have to be careful. I understand that this, can be, that this can be abused, and we certainly don't want to do this. But if we keep it within the rails, if we keep it between the lines of what Scripture tells us about how we live and function within the body of Christ, it should guide us all into righteousness and holiness. So we have to do it lovingly. Secondly, we have to do it humbly. We have to recognize that, that we too are sinners, that we too are in need of God's grace. Galatians 6.1 reminds us that if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So there's a warning there. There's, there's guidance there that it should be done in a spirit of gentleness. This restoration that, that Galatians is speaking of and that we should keep watch on ourselves because there's a danger of ourselves being tempted. It reminds us of, of 1 Corinthians 10 where it says, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Satan is deceptive and we must be aware of the danger of falling. That we are vulnerable, that we too are sinners and that we need help. But we need to help others. And finally, we need to see that it must be done prayerfully. And I say this last, not because it's least important, of course, but because it should really undergird and, and inform everything we do. If we set out to speak to someone about their sin, we must do it prayerfully. One commentator said, you cannot properly talk to men about God until you've talked to God about men. You can't properly talk to men about God until you've talked to God about men. So if you ever feel the need to approach someone, to, to encourage them, and, and especially if they are wandering from the truth, as James says, fill yourself and your thoughts with much prayer and much thoughts about God. We should pray that, that God would give us a greater love for that person 
Give us the words to speak. Give us opportunity. Give us wisdom to know what needs to be said. God works through the prayers of His people, and He loves to answer these types of prayers. And these prayers should be prayed, are, are the types of prayers that come from a heart of a child that's seeking to be obedient. Now, you might wonder how this plays out, and I, I, I can only give you hypothetical situations and, and I understand that, that as you think about this, you think, wow, I really don't want to do this. And, and yes, it's hard, but it, it should always come out of a sense of love. It should, it should come out of a sense of, of, of humility and, and recognizing that you are growing. And you are trusting your brother or sister, even if they're, even if they're sinning, that, that they are God's child and that if you encourage them and seek to point them to Christ in this, in this instance, in this situation, that they will respond in a way that, that will help them be corrected in their, in their wandering. And so it has to be done in a way that is, that is gentle, that is humble, that is prayerful, and that, is, that trust that God is working through you in the life of that person. Perhaps it's a, a, a brother in Christ that, that you hear speak to his wife or his children in ways that are harsh and unloving. And, and you're, you're uncomfortable by that. Now, you, know, you could do two things. You could say, well, I guess that's just how their family functions. But maybe you see his, the hurt on his wife's face. And, and, and you seek an opportunity. You go to prayer. And you say, Lord, I, I pray for my brother. Give him grace to, to, to speak with love and gentleness to his family. And um, then you look for an opportunity to say, hey, I noticed that this situation. Um, am I seeing that right? You know, have you, have you asked your wife how she feels about how you speak to her or how she felt in that moment? To, to challenge them directly about that. But it shouldn't just stop with one interaction. It should hopefully lead to more interactions. It should, it should point that person to God and His Word. It should point that person to the Gospel. And then it should involve a, 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 an ongoing relationship. And this is the hardest thing, I think, about this, is that, is that when we're in uh, life within the body of Christ... When we're made uncomfortable by something we see, what do we do? We tend to move away from a person. We just feel awkward by it. But when really what, what I think this scripture is calling us to do is to move in, not to be their fixer, not to be the one that, that hits them and gets them back on the straight and narrow, but to love them, to point them to Christ, to come alongside them and to say, brother or sister, I'm struggling too, but I want to help you in this. I want to, us both to look to Christ, to, to see how the gospel applies to our relationships. We are all in need. We are all in a journey, on a journey. We're all seeking, hopefully, to grow in grace. And when one wanders from the truth, James is saying, go after them. This takes time, but it is time well spent. We all need prayer. We need each other. We need accountability. We need to grow in our relationships with one another so that we can seek to, to grow in our conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. James says that this action is, should result in, in saving a sinner from death 
and covering a multitude of sins. That's bold. And James stops right there in his epistle. He says that the one, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. What a bold promise that is. And it helps us see the seriousness of wandering from the truth, but also the, the, the grace that is ours in Christ. And it, it ascribes the activity to the person who brings them back. And this is challenging because we know that salvation is a work of God. We talked in, the, in, in, in our Sunday school time, those that were in the Westminster Confession of Faith class this morning about how, how salvation is a work of God. It is all of God from start to finish. And, and we, we talked about that word monergism versus synergism, where, where uh, some people think that, that salvation, the work of coming to, to faith in Christ, is, is a, a synergistic work. In other words, that, that God has only done what He can do, and the rest is up to the sinner to, to finish the work. But that's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches us that it's all of God from start to finish that He has purchased our salvation and will accomplish it for His elect in space and time. And we recognize that. And James here is not speaking in, to, against that. He is not disagreeing with Paul in any sense, but he's saying that God will work through the efforts through the, the uncomfortable conversations, through the, the, the hard things of us saying, brother or sister in Christ, let me, let me walk alongside you. I see you're struggling in this. Or, or you know what? Your, your life is not measuring up. Sometimes you have to be bold and direct. But we always want to bathe it with love. We know that salvation is all the work of God we are dead in our sins. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. God and God alone can give life. It is only God that can save the sinner. It is only God that gives the gift of repentance. It is only God that can bring the sinner back from the far country. And God does not need us, yet He works through us. He works through His people to grow us in grace. He works through us to share the gospel, to, to bring lost sinners to Himself. And He works on an ongoing basis through the people of God existing in relationships, working together and loving one another and pointing each other to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 26, we see how that, that the Apostle Paul, in recounting his conversion experience and his call and commission, he was recounting it in that place uh, to King Agrippa, and he shows how that God had commissioned him to open, the eye, open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light. Paul is there, in a sense, saying something similar to what James is saying. Of course, it is the work of God that opens the eyes of the blind, but Paul is saying he was called to do that. And we are called to point our brothers and sisters to the Lord Jesus James calls us to action. He calls us to go and seek the wandering one. We, of course, cannot spiritually save them, but we need to see the danger they're in and approach it with that, with that seriousness because it is a serious matter. James speaks of saving the soul from death and covering a multitude of sins. Sin, of course, brings death. Sin can only be covered by one who can actually pay the penalty of sin. And that's, of course, Jesus Christ.
Only Christ can provide that covering. And the best thing we can do for ourselves and others is to look to Him, to point others to Him. Yes, there is a turning from sin, but every time there's a turning from sin, it should be a turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as McShane said, for every one look at our sins, we need to look ten times to the Lord Jesus Christ. A fuller explanation of, or a, a fuller quote from him is this. McShane said, he learned much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty, and yet such meekness and grace, and all for sinners, even the chief, live much in the smiles of God, bask in His beams, feel His all-seeing eye settled on you in love, and repose in His mighty arms. That was written by a man that was not yet 30 years old, for McShane died at the young age of 30 after pastoring in Dundee. But he was also a man that knew his own sin, and he goes on in that same uh, letter, he says, let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in Him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart so there will be no more room for folly or the world or Satan or the flesh. And that's what we need to do, saints of God, is fill ourselves with the Lord Jesus and, and seek Him in and through His Word and be willing to bring a word of encouragement or reproof if needed. The message we need is the message of salvation, the message of the gospel, the message that Christ died for sinners. And if you're here this morning and are outside of Christ, you must recognize that you are a sinner, that you are lost and without hope, save in His sovereign mercy and grace. So I invite you, if you do not know the Lord, to come to Him today, to, to come to Him, to cry out to Him for mercy and grace in your time of need. But for those of us that know the Lord Jesus, that seek to follow Him as our Savior and Lord, we must walk with humility, with a willingness to hear the words of reproof if we are wandering from the truth. To hear the words of reproof from a brother or sister. And we're also called to humbly and lovingly and prayerfully approach the one that is wandering. That person that we love and care about and we should seek to turn them back to the truth and the obedience of faithful discipleship. So let me ask you this morning, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to seek the wandering one? Are you willing to go to them in love and compassion and say, brother or sister, I see some things that don't seem to measure up. Or have you thought about this? Or tell me more about this. Because if we ask them questions such as that, it often will help them to open the door and recognize their heart's needs. Or do we seek to have that kind of a church? Do we seek to exist in fellowship in such a way that that is the natural way that, that we recognize our own needs and we seek to help others in their walk with Christ? Let us pray.